you say if you've just been through something stressful there's probably is a natural closing of a stress loop that you would naturally do and we don't know how to do that but that means that the human part of yourself is being affected by the doctor part of yourself it might be a step in the right direction just to literally acknowledge that yes you're a doctor but you're also just a person and you're just normal and none of being a doctor is normal hello my beautiful friends my name is dr beck and i am christine barker and this is am i doing it wrong a podcast for doctors by doctors dr beck is a mindset coach and medical doctor who specializes in liberating driven professional women from the limitations of perfectionism imposter syndrome syndrome and people pleasing. She's basically the cheat code for getting out of your own way, showing up authentically and living a life you're proud of. And Christine is a medical educator and nephrologist who creates resources for doctors in training that I truly think are an unfair advantage. She makes complex topics super simple and takes the pain and uncertainty out of passing your medical exams. Christine and I connected a few years ago via our online platforms and over the years we've discussed countless highs, lows and in-betweens of Dr. Life. And in doing so, we've experienced firsthand the power of vulnerable conversations to show us where we get in our own way and underestimating our capacity. So we want you to be part of the conversation and experience these same results. Every week on the pod, we'll be bringing you conversations which shine light in dark places, normalize the doctor journey, ease unnecessary suffering, and give you actionable steps to thrive in all facets of your life. So grab a cuppa and get cozy for this week's episode of Am I Doing It Wrong? The podcast for doctors by doctors. Okay, hello my beautiful friends. My name is Beck, and welcome back to the channel and episode five of the podcast. So we hope you guys have been enjoying it so far. We've been having an absolute ball doing this and more than a ball. It's been really nice to be able to connect and talk about some real things. Today we are continuing to talk about real things. Sad things. It's sad, sad things. things. Yeah. This is especially authentic for me this week and so I'm going through this sort of real life experience of it and I'm really liking the way that I'm handling it at the moment but Christine's going to jump in and give us a story that is really relatable maybe not to this sort of extreme of CPR but for all of us in it as a doctor this these tricky situations that we commonly find ourselves in yeah and so I guess we were just having a little brainstorm there about some of the examples from life and I remember, and it's actually really nostalgic because I'm actually in Scotland right now and I started my career in Scotland many years ago as a little intern in a little district general hospital called Air Hospital and it was my first week of internship and we had this, it's very different from Australia where most Australian hospitals have this thing on the tannoy, they have this thing that like a met call or something, we didn't have them but we had this pager <laughs> and the pager used to talk and the switchboard lady would talk out of the pager <laughs> and we used to wear if you were holding this page, I used to wear your runners, like you like because you were the met call team, you were like the cardiac arrest team. And so it'd be like cardiac arrest somewhere. So this was the page I was holding on week one of internship, right? Oh my goodness. And I remember just, you know, trying to survive life as an intern and then being in this situation where I was doing CPR for the very first time on a real human and we lost the person. And it's so vivid even now talking about it, but I was doing the CPR and I was told to stop and I couldn't stop. And I, and like I was, you know, then more aggressively told to stop and I eventually let my hands go. And it was this really weird moment where, you know, you're like early twenties, you've been to med school, you've suddenly been right at the interface of life and death. And it's hard to explain how strange that situation is. And someone has just lost their family member and you didn't save them and you've released your hands and I remember we had such it was such a busy day and I think you know what we did I did have a little touch base with my registrar but it was a very minimal touch base like just an are you okay to which I was like sure I'm okay and then I went to make a cup of tea because in Scotland and the UK tea fixes everything that's what we do <laughs> we put the kettle on and it was my coping skill from life and I put the kettle on and I had about six hobnob biscuits and hobnobs are like Anzac biscuits they're like a kind of an oaty sugary goodness <laughs> and they're like my favorite biscuit and it was like from that moment on that was my coping strategy like that was it when you're teary in a cupboard when you're trying to like shake an emotion from work make a cup of tea you have a sugary snack and then that's it that's and then somehow after that snack is finished you go back to work and it's all okay you don't talk about it at that time you don't 
yeah, just the day has to go on. And I guess it's such an interesting thing to think about now because now as a consultant, and I've obviously got all those years of experience now, I, when I really think about it, my coping strategies now, I wouldn't do that now, but I don't think my coping strategies really kicked in until I was a consultant when I had space to think more about it. Whereas in my training, I literally think that coping strategy was all I had until I finished my training. And now in the position where you're mentoring younger people, you almost construct strategies because you realize that it's not good enough. But it, it speaks to the culture of, I feel in the hospital when something bad happens or something sad happens, social workers and, and nurses often have these debriefs or these structures in place to acknowledge the feelings and to support each other through it. And doctors have a very different thing or they don't have anything. And so it was just a really a vivid story that came to mind. And I don't know if maybe they teach this in medical school now. I don't I don't think it's maybe possible to teach someone how to cope with that situation until you're in it. You know, how could you possibly conceive how you're going to feel when you've just failed a cardiac arrest or lost someone? You know, how do you prepare for that moment? So I don't know if there is like a right or wrong way or, a, or something that should be implemented. I think it's an interesting conversation is what do we use as coping strategies? Why do we use them? And I mean, I think the eating sugar and having a cup of tea obviously just came from, I don't know, a dopamine hit and a cup of tea. That seems like a good idea and moving on. I don't think it was necessarily something that was taught to me or whatever, but it wasn't a good strategy. It wasn't a good strategy. I wouldn't recommend it. And I wonder how, is there a better way? Is there a better way that we should manage these things? In that moment, if you were coaching someone back and they were telling you this story about <laughs> that was a coping mechanism, what would you say to them? What would you say is a better way to actually process what just happened? Mm. Yeah, and I think just the first thing that comes to mind is how normalised it is to for that to happen and then to move on for all of us next What's the next thing on your to-do list? Yeah. That's the most striking thing. And I think it would really inspire a lot of doubt in me when I think about that scenario. If it looks like that's the normal thing to do, because that's what everybody else did, like the rest of the team, all of us were expected to move on. So we do just move on. And I, I think that's probably the first thing I'd want to understand. Do we agree that's a normal thing to do or a reasonable expectation. Yeah, and, and I think it, it is that, isn't it? And it's almost whoever's giving you that support, they feel like they're also doing enough because they're like, are you okay? Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Okay, as long as you're okay. What else can you do? But they feel good that they asked, they checked in, and now we're doing another admission. And it's not necessarily their responsibility. Or within their capabilities, even. Yeah. And the processing of those events, I think, happens later. It's almost like what we're doing is we're like, right, now's not the time to fall apart. We're going to just pop this in a box. And yeah. then later, when you're at home tonight, you're going to have to somehow unpack that. If you do, if you do want to unravel it, I guess maybe there's two, two pathways where you do process it and those where you don't and it gets shoved yeah. down, <laughs> which... Yeah. Probably we can talk about that as another thing. But the processing must be delayed as well. You're yeah. not processing it in the moment, are you? No. I met an obstetrician and gynecologist who's later in his career now and he's just transitioned into coaching. So he's gone to do his master's in psychology at the moment. And he's doing the main piece for his master's on emotional suppression in healthcare, which I think would be the case for most of us in that situation that we are just suppressing to be able to do the next job. So I thought that was fascinating. I find it hard to, you know, after having coaching and very deliberately working to allow and use emotions after many years, I can imagine it's possible to move on and keep going in that moment in a healthy way. But I don't think that would be the case for, you know, that wouldn't be the case for me as an intern or junior, somebody who had never been exposed to any kind of training in that area, it would have been a matter of emotional suppression. I think that would have, that's the only thing that would have been able to allow me to move on to the next thing. Yeah. And then that is like a positive feedback loop, isn't it? Because if you're able to learn how to suppress your emotion, then you're doing a great job. 
like you're you're succeeding at this doctor thing yeah, you're all over you seemingly it. get rewarded yeah. yeah totally that's so funny that you say you just mentioned the biscuits in a funny way because <laughs> food is the thing that I used to use to escape my emotions all the time that was my go-to you know if I'd come home from a long day and I don't know I needed to study but maybe I couldn't even tell you what was going on with me emotionally at that time because I would just eat to soften those emotions so that I could productively do whatever I needed to do but yeah that was actually something that was a tool that I used to suppress my emotions so that I could get on with the next task I had to do it's one of the original problematic things that I couldn't turn away from anymore that actually led me to coaching in the first place because I was like I have no idea how to fix this I'm not hungry but I feel like I need to eat and it's because I just couldn't deal with those emotions. I was like, get me out of my body. Yes, yes. And it does feel good. It is comforting, isn't it, in the moment, for sure. And I guess I'm, I'm just thinking about how that connects to deconditioning because as we, you know, as we become older and more experienced and we get really good at pushing that stuff down and continuing with the day or having a really difficult conversation and getting on with the day, is that where deconditioning comes from? And is that a good thing? Because it actually is helpful to be able to disconnect so that you can articulate yourself in a family meeting or just be in that mode that you need to be in to do what's hard. So it is actually like to just support the skill. I actually think it is almost as controversial, but I think that is a necessary part of our job as well. That's really interesting. Mm. Yeah. Because I think you can split it up into, so when you say deconditioning, you mean not having an emotional response to somebody else's suffering or or something bad Mm. happening, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a calmness. I remember thinking at the end of my internship, it felt like the whole purpose of internship was so that I didn't panic when someone was hypoxic or having a my cardiac infarction there was a panic when you were because it's maybe a little bit different but in the UK the interns are first on the scene so you're eminently on the scene and you don't really call your registrar it might have changed now but when I did it you didn't really call your registrar until you had things sorted you'd sent off the gas you'd done the ECG you'd done some things you've got the access you didn't call them until you had done a bit more so you were at this really hard interface for your level of training and I know it is different in Australia you're a lot more supported and I think that's the right way but I guess by the end of internship I felt like that had left me like I had I had got a calmness so I could go to the bedside and they were someone be hypoxic or having chest pain and I'd be like it's calm but I remember the panic the internal like oh my god they're having chest pain and then that actually did leave me and I can now obviously continue to do that but that happened that life skill happened and that's far more useful that calmness is far more useful than what I was feeling when I first got to that clinical interface so that's what I mean by deconditioning is like actually Mm. a helpful thing Mm. yeah and I would you know from a coaching perspective I would question whether the root of that change was really emotional like I now cope with stress better like the emotion of distress or panic whatever it is or if actually after having all that experience and showing yourself your resilience and learning lots of skills it was that at the end of the year when you went to the patient's bedside and they're hypoxic and looking like they're crashing your thought was oh I, I know what to do here I can keep this patient safe And so you didn't even have the emotion to regulate at the time? Yes, that's true. Yeah, you didn't have it. You didn't have the problem anymore. I wasn't reminiscing on that emotion. But then I guess that's maybe not the same thing, that maybe that's the fight or flight response. That's your nervous system versus this is an emergency, my nervous system is activated. Maybe that's almost like your nervous system learning that you know it doesn't need to react as opposed to feeling yeah. a feeling which it does need to be processed because if you bury it, it's going to come back. <laughs> it's going to come back. I mean, did you have experienced that way where you've suppressed an emotion and it oh, later hit you in the So <laughs> many times. Like if I did not deal with an emotion at the start of the day, like I had some really emotive, usually really sad or hurt or something like that. If I didn't deal with it and I just somehow I I managed to push it to the side distract myself whatever to the point that I looked and felt cool then if something else happened in the day it's like my threshold was lowered so then if something else happened in the day I was more Mm. quick I will be more quick to react 
And then again, like if something else happens, I'm done. You know, it's you don't repair back to baseline if you don't address the emotion at the time. So I was more, I become more fragile if I try and just brush it away. You know, like by the end of a little things happen. What's that? I know there must be funny stories. You know, I don't know, you're rushing to get to work or whatever. And then you, I don't know, you broke your shoe and you tripped over something and ripped your pants. Somebody told you that your pants are (laughs) see-through. But then... That's never happened to you, Beck. (laughs) But you didn't cry until you know, you, you spill your coffee. That wasn't the worst thing that happened. That wasn't the reason that you cried. It was like all the stuff that happened before. And it's like that accumulation of emotions that aren't felt, the overwhelm building, the frustration building, the shame, like, oh, if I just start building, then you spill your coffee and you're out. <laughs> yeah, game over. Devastating. What a devastating event. Especially because my th- first thought would be, I really needed this to be okay. <laughs> 100 it's the hug in the mug, right? We were taught, yeah, hug in the mug and the biscuits. You drop the biscuits. Ah, <laughs> yeah. well, being tears. But you're right, though. It's like a build up, isn't it? And it's so subconscious because on on the surface, you're like, yeah, I got this emotional yeah. suppressed. I'm all over this emotional suppression. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then it like blindsides you. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's really classic of it. You know, when you have that reaction later on, that's just totally out of proportion. I think that's pretty yeah. classic of you know somebody who suppresses their emotions over the day. To have that overreaction. Yes. And do do you ever take it home and take it out on your partner? I never do that. (laughs) I am the perfect partner. I never do that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely not the perfect partner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I think that's also a thing, isn't it? Like people you love the most and you've had this day and you haven't processed it. And this person's like a safe space. And so somehow that's the person that gets the meltdown or whatever it is (laughs) this actually came up with my clients this week again this is such a theme for this week and she was talking about that classic thing of you know she came home after a long day and her partner doesn't work in healthcare but she's really burning the candle at all the ends it has more than two ends everywhere is burning she's working full-time plus and she's doing a research project and she's studying for an exam everything and her exam and research project are going to be due at the the end of June and you know she's come home to an empty house she's hungry and she's had a hard day had to stay late for overtime and she's ah why isn't dinner made and she felt angry at that moment right of dinner not being made but when we found the thoughts behind it It was those common hurt feelings of, oh, he's clearly not seeing how hard my day is. He's clearly not seeing how stressed I am, or he can see that. He doesn't care. He doesn't care enough. And dinner was just like this, you know, extra, the dinner was not that important. She wasn't that hungry. You know, they got takeaway and and everything was fine. And also her roommates like often cook and it's fine. It wasn't about the dinner. It was about her feeling hurt because she wasn't recognized for all of that you know, hardship and suffering. And I think that's why you take it out on your partner so easily when you go home, because you're like, they're the ones who are really supposed to be there for the, the suffering that I feel. And they're the ones who know me the best. They're supposed to see and recognize, see any suffering I'm going through, but also recognize like how hard you're working and give you that recognition and validation that you want for it so I think I definitely agree that safety is a part of why we take it out on partners because it's a place where you can just be normal and not feel like you are going to burn bridges you can just be authentic but then also because we have these expectations that they are the people who will see our suffering and will recognize our hard work which are important things to you know most humans let alone health professionals And then it feels really reasonable when you talk about it like on a one day episode and then you think, but really it's usually a rotation or a whole year or whatever it is, the job you're in. That's not a one day episode. And it's it's amazing how destructive our working day can be to our 
relationships which so to be honest like you say are probably if you know and it might be your friends or whatever but if you do have a romantic partner relationship usually that is some kind of support system that's meant to be buffering what's happening during the day or yeah. one of its facets is that and yet we can destroy it quite easily <laughs> by just being a doctor yeah and you know even the expectation that your partner could possibly understand there's so much that happens in one day it would take a lot of talking <laughs> to really truly understand all the things all of what the other person went through that day all of the things that were hard and all of the amazing things they overcame and should we talk shop though as another thing is it good to talk shop to go home and to be debriefing and that's what you're talking about or is that a bad thing as well what do you think oh but that? see how awful to think that you think you can't talk about it how awful you know so is the idea that all these tragic terrible things will happen during the day and also just extreme frustrations of the healthcare system that they will happen and that you're supposed to just zip your lips and never ever speak of it is that the idea for doctors yeah i'm not sure actually i'm not sure because i can see how the two things are true. I think about my advanced training and when I used to come home and offload whinge or whatever and I'd be nice sunshine registrar in the daytime and I would go home and I'm, I'm tired and it was just really this, like I was I had nothing left to give there was not an ounce of energy that I had left to give and it was not a good baseline to go home and yeah now now I'm thinking like if I could have gone home via some fix me up put me back to what you say baseline level before I get in I would have chosen that I don't know if that really exists but I definitely wasn't the best I think I was using my partner as someone to soundboard but then that soundboarding maybe the way I did the soundboarding wasn't healthy like it wasn't like a oh we're processing it thanks so much for listening and we'll move on it was just like this constant negativity onslaught with no end and then I'll go to work the next day and have the same experience and so I don't know if it was processing it wasn't necessarily productive it wasn't helpful we've told you about this before in terms of christy and i have talked about how there are so many cool communities you can join online but certainly my experience is i don't usually like being in facebook groups because they tend to easily spiral into you know people complain event which is good but it's not a good experience for me when the complaining just spirals into more complaining that there's never that kind of closure when i talk to you about things that are challenging for me just talking about them helps me get clarity but you know I guess when I'm talking to someone like you Christine I already think that you're very solution focused and very conscious of suffering and things like that I feel like the process is compassionate and caring to me as I do it but I guess sometimes when you just complain you get deeper and deeper into your story as opposed to complaining with it the aim of getting clarity and climbing out of the story so mm. the, the few groups that I am in they're groups with other coaches and it's again like they're guided by that everything's okay mindset not that everything's positive and happy and wonderful in the world but ultimately the world is good and bad and when you want to come up here you can come up and um, be resilient and be whoever you want to be and if you just want to feel the pain without spiraling into story you feel the pain there's a nice of making sure all of your venting becomes productive as opposed to spiraling and making you deeper and deeper into your suffering and i think that's a skill i i don't think that we should naturally know how to do that i think that that's a skill you learn you're like blowing my mind when you said gaining clarity and climbing out of the story I feel like that is the overarching goal isn't it and if I had that on the way home from those shifts and being like okay I'm gonna process this tonight understand what I need to learn from this climb out of this story that's so empowering as well it's an end game but I I feel like it's like you say it is a skill like unless someone tells you that this is an option when you're in that real like suffering place, you're just not loving life, you're burnt out, all the things, <laughs> you're not trying to climb out, you're just trying to like 
survive in some way you're just trying to get enough energy for the next day it's a different mode it's an empowered stance of climbing out of your story and you can imagine how that goes on both sides someone's helped you climb out of your story that's great they feel good you feel good now you can watch netflix happily <laughs> and have a great relationship ongoing but yeah but that's the thing I was going to say because you were I also benefit from your conversations and your wisdom when I'm going through something tough and it's this beautiful non-judgy space but the thing that that you said was I was going to say back to you was that yeah there's a curiosity in you like whenever you're going through something you're just like oh like what a how am I going to process this because obviously you do have that background of being a mindset coach and you understand thoughts and feelings on this whole new level so you're able to come to this with that understanding that it is something you can learn and it is something yeah. we can get better at which I'm so fascinated by so say I'm that horrible past slash perhaps current version of myself sometimes where I'm driving home and I'm like and I'm just like a little Dr. Goblin, literally not quite right, Goblin. and I'm hungry and it's going to be, you know, Uber Eats for the third time in a row this week. You know that kind of night? So what would you say to me in that moment? What's the strategy? What am I, what, what am I supposed to do to climb out of my own story in that moment? What do I do? What's the story? Yeah. And it, it doesn't feel like a story at the time. So it's literally, what are you thinking? And it seems like you're not thinking of anything. It seems like you're just about the facts of the day and if you didn't have anybody else if you were by yourself and honestly this is what I do by myself too when I'm thinking terrible awful thoughts I write them down which is the last thing that you want to do the last thing that you want to do is write down and what's the word when immortalize these terrible thoughts right it's the last thing you want to do but I think the the emotions of that goblin state oh they're so overwhelming that you like you're just distracted by that emotion and the hunger and you're not aware of your thoughts I don't think in that moment so I know that it sounds really simple but I would want to know what the story is you're telling yourself because my story would sound something like it's so unfair they had to stay late this is the second day in a row that I've had to stay late and my my colleague should have stayed to help me with this or I shouldn't have taken that last admission or if only the healthcare system was well-staffed. So I'm having all these thoughts and yeah, they're valid concerns. And that's, you want to get them out because you want to see why your mind is so upset and you want to give those concerns their due regard. You know, they're not okay to you and give that some airtime that it's not okay to you. You're not going to suddenly make them okay. You're not going to make peace with the fact that the healthcare system is understaffed and people are being unnecessarily harmed, patients, colleagues, and you're not going to come to a place where you're like, and that's okay. (laughs) So hearing out the concern and validating that. But for me, I want to be really careful at those times where I am arguing with reality this is a term from Byron Katie she's probably the mother of all thought work Byron Katie and she says when you argue with reality you always lose you lose every time so all of those statements where I'm like it should be different this is not fair it shouldn't be like this that shouldn't have happened I want to see what's important to me in those statements. Ah, I want the healthcare system to be better. I want the patients to have good care. But I also want to notice that those thoughts, if I don't recognize them, they have the potential to just play and play and play. It should be different. It should be different. It should be different. But it's not. It's not different. This is the reality. So when your mind does that to you, and my mind does this to me, every time that I have some kind of you know standard that's not met or I feel like my values have been violated you know you can find a hundred examples a thousand examples every day when you walk into the hospital that your standards not being met about what's okay if you start to play that story you're just gonna stack emotion on emotion on emotion and you you lose you know as Byron Katie says you end up with that emotional suffering that has no answer to it things should be different and they're not 
Yeah. And those thoughts, like you say, you're not necessarily hearing the thoughts as you would maybe the first time you heard them. There's just, there's a like show on in the background. It's almost using up space in your brain and it's causing you to feel terrible, but you're not really in touch with it either. That's yeah. so true. And do you think there's any merit for, so as you were saying that, I was thinking about how it might be nice to flip the script a little bit, like acknowledge the bad things, but also be like, I'm really glad I showed up the way I did today and messy such and such was really benefited by my presence today. Do you think it's helpful to insert positive things there or do you think that's toxic positivity? Yeah, in general, I err on the side of that being toxic positivity. It's absolutely a part of the total strategy of living a great life and moving on from, you know, hurt, grief, whatever it is. But, you know, if your mind is saying, people are gonna get hurt, my colleagues are suffering, my patients are suffering on one side, and then you try and say, but I did a good job, you know, with what I had. I did a good job. I, I just, I think we all have probably found, like, it sounds like something that, I don't know, you know, a, a loving partner or friend or your parents would say to you, trying to help you, oh, but I, I bet you did your best. I bet you did a good job. It just doesn't touch, you know, <laughs> it doesn't touch that problem that your mind is trying to bring up. And so what one of the tricks of thought work is we talk about the thought creating the emotion. You can always, you can try any thought and the way to know whether it's useful or not for you is to actually notice if the thought creates an emotional shift. So for someone like you, who's actually really good and quite a natural now, probably after all your work at seeing the positive aspect of things, and you're, you've got this affinity to focus on the positive because you know it changes the way that you show up and the way the world is and makes better outcomes for you. When you think that in that moment, you might actually get an amazing emotional reaction and you might actually feel better that might actually solve your problem in or your distress in that moment but I still definitely have times and that's the case for me too but the point is that you want to check for you you don't want to be copying and pasting motivational quotes from Instagram or just trying to you know say a mantra of what what your partner says to you you're a good person you're a good person whatever you want to actually check if it affects you don't waste your time with thoughts that don't create an emotional response. They're nothing. They're just ideas, but then they're, they're not anything that will change your, your life. Yeah. And I think I've definitely had real problems with that because I am someone who works on being positive. I definitely experienced my own toxic positivity being harmful. And then it makes me think about how toxic positivity can be connected to the override button that that emotional suppression can be directly connected to the toxic positivity. And I remember there was a time, I guess maybe, I mean, life happens to everyone. It's not really oversharing, I don't think, but I had a, a breakup a few years ago, and but I had been doing all of this work on being positive and having a positive mindset. And I was worried that if I didn't always have a most of the time be positive that my life would be in tatters you know like I would be creating a different reality for myself so I was really trying to be positive and I trained myself that negativity was bad then I was in this breakup situation and it's it was so amazing Beck. I actually lost the ability to cry and I mean I cry all the time like I like Bambi will be on or Forrest Gump and I'll be like <laughs> I mean I'm good at crying that's what I can do but I had lost the ability and I, because I had been like I don't want to feel this emotion I don't want to feel this emotion I'm gonna feel this <laughs> and I just kept shoving it down and being all toxic positive and it caught up with me like I understood about myself I became unwell I didn't feel right my body felt like there was something wrong with it and I ended up going to this I mean it was a bit woo but I did end up going to like kind of a any energy healer and doing this meditation to unlock and allow me to cry and now when I'm in that kind of I know that I'm I need to release an emotion I'll go in like just on YouTube or something I'll do a meditation that's about unlocking emotions and I'll just have a wee meditation cry and it does seem to release something and it makes me feel better but it was such a hard lesson to learn because I first had to go through the my I was a victim of my own positivity mm -hmm. and then I had to reflect on how you know that that was showing up that toxic positivity is not a nice thing 
yeah. and me or and, and anyone else like it's not the, the worst thing when you say when someone's going through something and you're like oh don't worry about it you know it, that's toxic positivity <laughs> it's not what you need to hear you need to hear well that sucks and just sit with it you know yeah. do you have you had experience with that oh absolutely but it just made me think as well of when you said you know we've got this professional emotional tox like anti-emotional toxicity as well like you mentioned like you can't have emotions to the doctor but I mean that concept to rejecting that normal emotional reaction in the name of being professional I mean I feel like that's there's this toxic element of it too like suggesting that should be okay that you should be able to walk away from that cardiac arrest and next you know yeah it's really interesting I just feel like it draws there's a parallel there between the you know don't worry about it just be happy and you know don't feel any emotions just move on to the next patient you're a professional I feel like there are there's some interesting parallels there but you know when I was learning in thought work maybe year two or three where I started using it against myself because I guess I was just talking about how you know your thoughts create your emotions which create your behaviors and you can build a lot of insight into you know how does this thought affect me what emotion does it create and therefore what behavior does that create for me but then you know the other side of it is aside from building insight is building that intentional those intentional outcomes into your life by choosing what you want to think because it creates the emotions and behaviors you want. And so whenever I wasn't behaving in the way that I wanted to, I'd be like, oh, well, you're just not thinking the right thoughts. You're just not doing it right. You're not creating the right emotions, duh. It's again, that kind of, that you should be happy all the time. It's possible to be happy all the time, so you should be happy all the time. And I mean, this is such a great example of how that's ridiculous. Do we think that you should be happy? post that cardiac arrest would anybody ever suggest that oh absolutely not absolutely not but yeah but then again I I say that on one hand then I also support this notion that we as doctors do need to be able to somehow compartmentalize that in the moment and finish our day and then go home and somehow do something with it it's I'm like a walking hypocrite of myself but (laughs) you know it's like I on one hand it's oh that's not right and that little intern past me really needed something else in that moment maybe or maybe nothing but I would have loved a structure or something at at night time to to go through what you say but do you know when you were talking about thought work as well um and I just had this vision of I don't know if you're into this, but I'm quite into decluttering, right? I love decluttering. It's like the most cleansing thing. If anyone just needs to, if they feel chaotic, just clean out a drawer. I swear to God, it'll just change your life. So <laughs> I'm into decluttering. But when I think about this, like if you're not feeling the feeling and if you're not allowing yourself to see the thought that, that's making you upset, and you're just ignoring it and shoving it down. It seems to me like it's the equivalent of just having a really messy cupboard that's driving you nuts subconsciously. But the way to declutter it is to open the cupboard and be like, well, I don't need that and I don't need that <laughs> and keep the things you like. But you're not going to do that unless you open the cupboard. You can't, you know, it's, and how cleansing is that to get rid of things that don't serve you? And maybe crying is the way to get rid of things that don't serve you, like having that expression and doing the, the thought work and stuff that you're talking about or maybe getting coaching with you or something yeah. like that's going to help you open the cupboard. But if you don't open the cupboard, you're just living with the cupboard continuously. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah like the sadness comes and it, it's like a T-shirt and you just scrunch it up. Whereas you could have folded it and put it, process the emotion. Right? Yeah. Or taking it to the, I don't want to say take the sadness to the charity shop. I don't want to do that. No, we will wash the t-shirt of the sadness. It's going wrong. It's going wrong. But we don't want that in the cupboard after some, we want to be processing the sadness and then getting yeah. it out of the cupboard. But not to the charity shop. It's not right. My, my problem <laughs> is, I do not have all the answers, but my problem is just this, the status quo is compartmentalize and move on and then leave it to yourself to deal with, you know, in the couple of hours after work or whatever and repeat, you know, finish your 12 days and then open the cupboard at the end of the week and see what's there. <laughs> if it didn't burst open before that. Yeah, that's not good either. The cupboard will accumulate things. 
And is that what happens? You know, have you ever had that where you have been pressing the override button and then you come to a forced stop? I'm someone who suffers from migraines, for example. And over time, I have realized, obviously, there's a genetic component and everything. But migraines, my experience of migraines is that they definitely come when I have been doing all the things wrong, burning the candle at both ends, just like forcing things, not surrendering to how I'm really feeling. And it's my body stops me. And the migraine is a great way just to literally, I have to be unconscious. Like I have to go for us like a nap to like, I can't, I cannot function. So it's, it feels like that's my body's way of saying, yeah, you need to stop. But it's part of it, I'm sure is, is my, the way I behave and not looking after myself right before it. Do you have anything like that that comes up for you? For stop? I mean, I feel like every time I get sick, it can come down to me doing too much rather than, you know, it's like host factors. I feel like every time when I get sick rather than, I don't know, me coming across some virulent organism, you know? So (laughs) I think general viruses and things will get me at that stage. But I was just thinking as well, you know, for me, just welling over and crying crying is just something I do when I haven't validated any of my emotional experiences and let them build up or I've actively invalidated them and said you know just move on it doesn't matter that much but I'm also just thinking when I don't laugh when I haven't been like I don't know had enough like fun funny conversations I've had so many experiences where I will just start uncontrollably laughing, like something will make me laugh and then I won't be able to stop laughing in the same way that I'm not able to stop crying. I'm like, wow, what is that? It's so interesting. Because maybe people don't notice it because it's not a problem to be like uncontrollably laughing. But it's like if I haven't expressed enough of that part of the emotional spectrum, I get the same kind of like... I just need to feel it all, but it's laughing. <laughs> That's incredible. And what a lovely thing you're, because isn't laughing really good for your health? Really okay. good, they say? Yeah. 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 That's really cool that your body does that. It's almost like an antidote to itself. My body really wants to be happy. <laughs> right. And everyone's does. And it's well-being should feel like a, a right. We, we have a right to well-being. And I think sometimes we almost forget that it can be normal to feel really great as a dog. <laughs> I love talking about emotions and I just feel like the word's got this terrible tinge to it. But I just think emotions are like why we do everything in life. Everything we do is because we want to feel a certain way or because we don't want to feel a certain way. It's like any amount of money you want to earn, any job you want to get, whatever. It's because you you think it'll make you feel a certain way. And then I just think think so many of us, especially through like our 20s and 30s, I don't I expect a lot of us perhaps it looks like in retirement people get more wisdomful but in our 20s and 30s we like neglect and ignore all of our emotions we don't think about you know creating them on purpose or nurturing them to be the way the kind of mixture that we want thinking that once we finally get to x point then we will be happy or get to feel peace and ease or confidence whatever i just think that is the typical thing whereas when you have that skill of emotional regulation you get to feel all of that ridiculous joy like right now even if you have quote nothing and there are so many great examples in history of that i mean victor frankl in man's search for meaning you know imprisoned and he was still able to feel and think however he wanted to despite being a physical prisoner you know, that story is so popular, but so few of us actually apply that to our lives. And we're like, oh, actually, I, I could feel whatever I want to feel right now. We don't want to. We're like, no, I have to earn it. Yes. But also, I think in order to take that kind of control of yourself, I think you have to start with a blank canvas. If you're coming from a place that's really negative and you don't know how to regulate yourself, you don't even know why you feel so terrible and it's this spiral I feel like you have to do something to get a blank slate to then superimpose however you want to feel. I I think there's that middle blank slate place. So say for example, meditation or being creative or going for a walk or going for, you know, exercising, something to move yourself away from where you were and to clear the mind. Because I feel like a lot of people can relate to that, even if you're not a meditator. I mean, I was never a meditator. That came to me really late. But 
just going for a walk or something can get you to the same place or painting a picture or just some kind of escapism and eventually if you do it for so many minutes you will get to a place where you're absent of thought you you get this clearance but I feel like it's from that clearance place that I can then control my own thoughts or I can insert something positive but up until that point it's you just I don't think you can go from like the toxic negative to the the super positive either so I wonder do you have a, a strategy yeah. Well, I mean, what you're pointing out is so when I talked about your thoughts creating your emotions, which create your behaviors from this coaching tool, that's just something that I have. This is the general way that people, I mean, it's a common style of tool that people use in coaching. But I just took that because I have done cognitive behavioral therapy training before. And so the thought, emotion, behavior sequence is actually the cognitive behavioral therapy triangle which says that your thoughts influence your emotions, which influence your behaviors, which then also influence your thoughts. Like you're saying, you can do things and that will change the way that it can influence the way that you think as well. And, you know, for me, if I don't exercise, it's exercise is one of my things. If I don't exercise for a week is like my limit. I start, it's very hard for me to choose good thoughts because my body doesn't feel comfortable. So I completely agree it would be a very hard thing to go from a place of being very negative or feeling very burnt out and just trying to think better thoughts to create those emotions absolutely yeah yeah and do you know what else works when you're really spiraling is a nap a nap (laughs) i am not the kind of person who can nap when i'm spiraling my brain's like (laughs) oh really oh yeah no just make yourself unconscious for a while it's like hitting the reset button and now we're good to go. I want one of those buttons. So what's the unconscious pattern? Turn me off. <laughs> but right, sometimes I do have to turn myself off. You know, like it's a bit, it's a bit extra in there. Like, no, <laughs> not working. Nap. Um, I, I haven't napped in a little while, to be very honest with you, which is a good thing. But it's just, I guess, for people listening, if you're like, oh, I don't meditate, I don't really want to exercise, it's too nap, honestly. Or even like a shower. You said walk as well or go outside. Yeah. Quite say that, no, yeah. It's just a little bit of help, isn't it, to feel better? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many things you can, and everyone will have something different. But I do think that's in addition to what you're saying. I think that is an important step: is drawing yeah. some kind of line in the sand of your day to your night, or that emotional place to a new place. Like making a choice that I'm going to do something right now to change this experience for myself. Some stress researchers talk about completing the stress cycle. And they give examples of animals who like after they've had a stressful, stress-inducing experience, they'll shake it off kind of thing. <laughs> was that a good demonstration? That you was, TT. watching the video. <laughs> and I don't know all the physiology behind that, but I don't know, it really anecdotally plays out with my experience of stress where, you know, it's like your nervous system is really activated. Well, your nervous system is really activated. You're adrenalized. And then to have that kind of physical, it's almost like feedback to your body that you've done something, you know, you've exerted yourself physically to keep yourself safe so it can stop those processes. And I guess, again, like when you think about the hospital context, there's just no room for that. You know, when, when you have to just keep moving and keep being professional, you know, within that box of what a professional looks like. I, I guess that's a really interesting question for all of us to ponder. Yeah. Because this is the reality for us for now, and it will be probably at least for the next decade, that this is how we deal with hard things. And when bad things happen, that you move on, you continue on with your workload. And there's no debris. And uh, hopefully our chief wellness officers will change all of this for us now in Australia. But for now, just, yeah, to think about... I guess what I would really just like to highlight is I don't think it's normal to just be able to move on and be unaffected. And I would hate for anybody to not recognize that because you look around and everybody else is doing it. And so you think, ah, there must be something wrong with me if this feels hard for me and I'm quote, not coping well with this like I'm still thinking about I'm I'm feeling these emotions at the next patient there must be something wrong with me because everyone else is and I think especially when you're 
a junior doctor, you can really come to believe that, you know, you just need to develop, once you develop the skills or the experience, then you will be a person who can skillfully like compartmentalize and be unaffected in totality. And I, I don't think that would be a normal thing. I think I would like to bring to everyone's attention that that's not the goal to be completely emotionally detached. Yes. Yeah. And that always brings me back to, I have this term that I use. If you ever see any of my content, I always see doctor humans like that my audience I call them doctor humans and that is the exact reason because there's been a doctor and there's been a human and like you say like the natural part nature if you've just been through something stressful there's probably is a natural closing of a stress loop that you would naturally do and we don't know how to do that but that means that the human part of yourself is being affected by the doctor part of yourself and you're not in control of it and it's it is this lovely sort of if you can recognize both facets of yourself then it might be a step in the right direction just to literally acknowledge that yes you're a doctor but you're also just a person and you're just normal and none of mm-hmm. being a doctor is normal and um, do you want to become the kind of person or whatever the the norm is you're trying to go to do you want to become the kind of person who is completely emotionally disconnected some people might but i think a lot of us we don't want to, none of us want to truly be happy all the time as much as we say that we do because we don't want to be happy about the fact that poverty exists, about the fact that abuse, we don't want to be happy about all these bad things that do happen in the world. And this is one of those things, the tragedies that you witness, the powerlessness, even just your emotional suffering in the moment. I think a lot of us probably don't want to become the kind of person who can be happy in that scenario. It's okay to feel bad it's normal to feel bad and you can maybe even well I would take it as far as it's a good thing to feel bad I want to feel bad a lot of the time yeah because otherwise you've lost something you've lost yourself you've stopped caring yeah that's so true and giving yourself permission to feel those feelings that really sums it up I think (laughs) yeah and I'd be so interested in what you guys think you know always really interested in it's a very vulnerable thing to talk about but I recognize that a lot of this conversation is controversial it can feel controversial and especially if you're actually feeling the feelings and you're going through a hard time or hard rotation on one hand you're listening to us maybe recognizing that yeah that that it sounds familiar they've been through it too but equally you could be feeling quite resentful listening to this conversation when you're in that place it can be hard to hear um so I guess I just wanted to reach out and give some good vibes to anyone who is um suffering right now and if you're having trouble like hearing the things we're saying that's also fine but we would love to hear from you every perspective is welcome yeah yeah I always say in coaching bring me your objections confusions and questions bring them all everything is welcome we can only ever talk about so many aspects of this and we don't have the rounded perspective so please bring your perspectives here and asking those questions bring up your objections and we would just love to continue these really important conversations with you yeah Absolutely. And thank you so much for listening and for being here. (laughs) We love you guys. We love you guys. We'll see you guys all again next week.